Welcome to the Portland Countdown, a project of the World Parkinson Coalition made possible with support from Parkinson's Resources of Oregon. I'm John Palferman. And I'm Dave Iverson. Each month for the past 15 months, John and I have taken up different Parkinson's disease topics as we counted down to the Fourth World Parkinson Congress in Portland, Oregon, which is now just one month away. And John, in our final episode in this series, we get a preview of the upcoming Congress from Dr. Serge Shedborsky, professor of neurology at Columbia University and president of the WPC's board of directors, and Eli Pollard, executive director of the WPC. And we began our conversation with Serge and Eli by asking each of them just what makes attending the World Parkinson Congress such a distinctive experience. The World Parkinson Congress is such a special meeting for people who haven't been. It really is the only international space where everyone in the Parkinson's community is invited to have a seat at the table. And so from the very beginning, our organization has believed that people with Parkinson's have a role to play in advancing our understanding of Parkinson's and that they are experts in their own right, the living with this disease day in and day out. And so the World Parkinson Congress is just such an exciting space because it is a place where we bring together world-renowned neuroscientists, uh, world-renowned clinical researchers, as well as this whole spectrum of clinicians from nurses to rehab specialists, the PTs, the OTs, social workers, speech pathologists, etc. And we invite them to present top-notch work, but also to engage with people with Parkinson's and their care partners and their family members. And there's just nothing quite like it anywhere. And Eli, if you would describe perhaps in more detail then, what actually comes from that? I mean, it sounds great. I've experienced them, as has John, and and I know what that experience can bring. But again, for perhaps the uninitiated, what comes from that? What concrete benefit comes from having everyone in the same room? Well, I think that when we first started this, planning for the first Congress back in in 2004 when we founded the organization, we all knew that bringing the community together was going to be interesting and exciting. But I think that we were, I think, a little bit surprised at the impact it had, particularly on, when I think of the Parkinson's community, I think of it as sort of a spectrum of you've got people with Parkinson's and families on one end, you've got all their care providers, all their health professionals through the middle of the spectrum, and then you, at the other end, you've got these basic scientists, these neuroscientists who may never actually meet people with Parkinson's. They're working in a lab, they're working at a molecular level, and so what we found at the first Congress, and this has been true with every Congress after that, is that the cross-pollinating of those two audiences, of the people with Parkinson's and their families at one end of the spectrum and the neuroscientists at the other end, has often been quite profound. I remember the very first Congress meeting a a neuroscientist, a very well-recognized neuroscientist, who had brought a number of his junior lab staff, um, young investigators, with him to the Congress. And when I asked him, how was your experience, how's your experience been, he said, it's been wonderful, but what's surprised me the most is that I had no idea none of my junior investigators, none of them had even ever met a person with Parkinson's. Hmm. This is the first time they're putting a face on a disease that they're trying to cure. They're yeah. dedicating their lives to curing a disease, and they don't know anybody with a disease. 
And that was, for me, really a profound moment to hear that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I remember meeting, and I've met many people with Parkinson's who do say that it's the first time they have a chance to actually meet the scientists. And for them, it also opens their sort of minds to what's going on out there in the world and all the other people who are on their team, right, on their side trying to cure this disease who they don't even know exists or they never get a chance to actually talk to them or meet them, even if they do know they exist. And so that sort of cross-pollination is really exciting. Serge, I wonder if you would respond to that as well from a personal point of view, as someone who has spent his professional life uh, researching this disease, trying to understand it, trying to figure out a way forward to stopping its progression. What Eli said reminded me of something that happened to me when I was in Glasgow. I was talking with a a noted neuroscientist who said, you know, I'm going to go back to the lab different. And I said, why? And he said, well, because I've, I've really seen the disease for the first time. And I'm going to go back to the lab uh, with a different focus than I've ever had before. Curious if that's happened to you. I'm curious about how the WPC has influenced you and, and your own work. Uh, absolutely. We hear firsthand from those who have to struggle every day with the disease, what it's important to them. Because I can tell you that being a molecular and cellular biologist is very easy for me to fall in love with some aspect of the disease that I can model in a dish or in other artificial system where I find it absolutely fascinating from the perspective of biology. Honestly, whether that has more appeal or significance than simply being exciting from the molecular perspective and whether that's going to have any bearing on the quality of life of my patients, I have no idea. And so that's why it's so important for us to be in direct contact with an active populations group of individuals with Parkinson's disease who are interested, but also willing to share with us their challenges and what they feel to be significant aspect and how we can contribute to improve their quality of life. And that to me has been extremely important to continue year after year to focus my research as much as possible with, in response to what I've heard and what I've witnessed from uh, my patients. And that I think is to me one of the absolutely unique an invaluable asset of a meeting like the WPC. Eli, there's obviously a vast difference in scientific knowledge among the various delegates, from patients recently diagnosed to career neuroscientists. So in the planning of the meeting, how do you make sure that delegates can understand each other? That's a great question, John. We take that so seriously. And the program committee, which is made up of around 50 experts from around the world, this is something we talk about at length. How do we make sure that we inspire neuroscientists to come to the meeting so they can learn? How do we find topics that will um, interest clinicians? And how do we figure out a way to make that all digestible to people with Parkinson's? It's not an easy meeting to organize. And the program committee spent over one year discussing what topics were the most germane to the community and how we were going to work on making sure those were accessible. So what we do is there are some topics that we invite the presenters to present at a higher level of science. And so what we do is every session in the entire program, we've coded these sessions. So they're either recognized with a little icon as highly technical, moderately technical, or what we call as cross-talk, so really open to a mixed audience. 
And then we also identify if the session is more basic science, clinical science, or comprehensive care. So there might be a talk on genetics that might be a moderately technical, and it might be a mix of basic science and clinical. So we try to give people a sense when they look at the program to see what a topic is about before they even walk in the room, not just what the talk topic is, but what level they can expect and where this talk is going to fall, whether it's basic science, clinical science, or, or more about care. And so this makes it more complicated, but it gives people a sense. And we, we don't close any sessions to anyone. We don't create tracks. We believe that this Congress, and this is one of the things that makes the WPC very different from any other health meetings where people living with an illness are included, we do not close any sessions to anyone. People can attend any session they want. We just want them to be as prepared as possible when they walk through the door. And so if someone who doesn't have a strong scientific grasp of a particular topic wants to attend the session, they can attend it. And we encourage them to attend it and listen, but also just to know what they're getting into before they actually walk through the door. So you tell people the level of the sessions, but you've got different classifications of sessions, Serge. I wonder if you can tell us about some of them. There's even a pre-Congress course. What's the idea behind the course which kicks off the conference? Because of the complexity of the program, but also the organizations and the different level and the different constituency, we thought that it's important to have kind of a session before starting, that it's kind of a blueprint that will do two things. One, to explain to all the delegates who are interested, and particularly, I would say, the one that attend the meeting for the first time, because the, I would say the ones who are used to the meeting, they know that. But the ones who are new, they may be a little bit lost with the complexity, the different level. And so we thought that that would be important to have this pre-meeting to give them basically a blueprint of what's going to happen, some tips, how to deal with the itinerary, how to organize your time, and also to have a series of outstanding uh, speaker and lecturer that on the different key aspects of the meeting will give the audience kind of the basic notion, the basic lexicon, terminology, concept that they will need to not be so lost if they go to a sophisticated or more technical sessions because they would have heard some of the terminology and the concepts uh, pre-digest for them before they go. So that's basically the mission of the pre-Congress session. Thank you, Serge. Eli, can you give us a sketch of a typical day of the main conference, say the Wednesday or the Thursday? What can we expect? Because it's a pretty complicated structure. It is a pretty complicated structure. It's evolved over the years, and I think we've refined it in a way that works, but it is a complicated structure nonetheless. So we start each morning once we finish the pre-Congress day and we have the opening ceremony, then the following three days are structured really pretty much the same. Each morning from 8 to 9, we have what we call hot topics. This is really exciting for us. We choose the top 12 abstracts that were submitted for poster display, and we invite those top 12 scientists or clinicians, many of them young investigators, to present their posters from the plenary stage in the morning. And for some of them, this is the first time they've ever presented to an audience. And for some of them, this is an incredible experience that uh, we think builds a lot of connections and gets their work recognized. So we've heard a lot of great things from our Hot Topics presenters in the past. 
So that's every morning from 8 to 9. There's nothing competing with that. Part of the reason we designed the mornings to have just one thing happening is it's the opportunity to bring the full community together. So we start that with hot topics, and then when the hot topics end, we slowly roll into, in the same space, we roll into the open plenary talk, which will have a number of leaders speaking on specific topics each day, and that's run for a little over two hours. And this is, this is the only thing going on at the Congress in the morning, and it's the one chance we have to make sure that the community comes together under, in one space. It's cross-pollinated. And after that happens, we then break for uh, around a two-hour lunch break, which is a very busy time itself. That is when a lot of posters are then shown. People who've submitted abstracts host their posters. They meet various people. They talk about their work. It's also, of course, a time for lunch. <laughs> and we also have what we call, we have two special lectures that will take place during lunch each day. One is our uh, James Parkinson Special Lecture Awardee that was identified this year as Dr. John Nutt also known as Jay Nutt, who's out of Oregon Health and Sciences University. He'll give a talk on the history of levodopa and Parkinson's. And uh, the other special lecture will be a panel of people living with Parkinson's talking about how they really live well with Parkinson's. I think it's quite an inspiring panel. So once we finish our lunch period, that's when things get really interesting. And this is, I think, what you were referring to, John. The afternoon is when we split up and have a number of concurrent sessions going on at the same time. And so we sort of have two sections, a first period of concurrent sessions and then a second period of concurrent sessions. And what you see in each of these periods is you'll see a number of what we call parallel sessions. These are large sessions rooms of perhaps 500 people, where it's very much like a lecture format, really interesting presentations, um, and again, leaders on topics that are just very important to the community. At the same time, we'll have sessions we call workshops that are smaller, maybe 200 people. They're designed for more discourse, uh, more panel discussion, more engagement with the audience. And then we have the incredibly popular roundtable session. And this is something that has evolved and we've added in to the Congress just last time in Montreal for the first time. And we're, of course, including it again. We actually take these experts, these experts who are speaking throughout the day in the plenary session and the parallel sessions and the workshops, and we ask many of them, these are scientists, clinicians, as well as people with Parkinson's and others, we ask them to host a roundtable. And it's a table that seats a maximum of 12 people. And it's an opportunity for people in the Congress, at the Congress, to sit down and meet this expert and talk to them about all sorts of things, whether it's genetics or using mouse models in research or whether it's speech therapy or physical therapy or just living well with Parkinson's. So we have all different people hosting those. They're very popular. And then when those end at the end of the day, we then go into our wrap-up sessions, which are very popular and incredibly well attended. And we also have poster tours in the evening, another opportunity for young investigators to showcase their work and for people to walk around and actually you know, meet these experts and ask them questions. So it is a very busy schedule. I wanted to see if um, you could each perhaps give a perspective on What's changed uh, since Montreal, since the last WPC uh, three years ago? For you, Serge, as, as a researcher, I'm interested in sort of your perspective on what we've learned, broadly speaking, over the last three years in the world of Parkinson's disease research and, and what you're looking forward to in terms of what you will hear more about in, in Portland this year. 
to me, of course, there are some aspect, uh, basic research that has either been initiated or emerged uh, since uh, Montreal that has been uh, primarily in, to not be too technical, in the metabolism of proteins. And so I'm sure that we're going to hear much more about this. And the reason why I believe that this might be important is because in terms of understanding the biology or the mechanism of the disease, of course, it's very enlightening. But in terms of treatment, it may raise new options, and particularly options of treatment that will involve immunotherapy, uh, particularly antibody or vaccination therapy. And so I would be extremely attentive uh, this year, particularly, uh, to see what is going to emerge in, ter- in this realm of therapies that really capitalize on the immune system, uh, despite the fact that there is no reason really to think that Parkinson is an immune disease. Still, we are immunological-based species, and so it's always very intriguing and very interesting to see what happened to a disease like Parkinson's disease if we modulate the immune system, and I think that we are going to hear a lot, I'm predicting, about this. And then on the, I would say, more the symptomatic treatment, I think that to me, really what remained at the forefront, and it was very discussed in Montreal, and I think that uh, progress hopefully has been made and will hear, it's, of course, symptomatic treatment directed against what we call non-motor aspect of uh, Parkinson's disease, whether it's, it's sleep, constipations, uh, depressions, all these other aspects that uh, we know now are very important for our patients and for which, because probably we only pay attention to them more recently, uh, we still have a lot of uh, progress to do to understand their mechanism, their basis, and how to approach them in terms of therapies. And so I'm uh, very excited to hear basically about what has been done how we understand maybe better those non-motor manifestations of Parkinson and what uh, our experts think and have tested to try to improve the impact of these manifestations on the day-to-day life of our patients. Eli, uh, Serge was just mentioning this increased interest in the importance of, of some of the non-motor features of Parkinson's. And I, I think for, for people living with Parkinson's, it's often, well, of course, we all want to see the day when a cure will come or a day when we'll find out a way to, to modify disease progression. There is this thing called living with Parkinson's in between now and when that happens. And I think in the patient community, there's a particular desire that we not forget that, that we really focus on what it means to live with Parkinson's. Can you say something about how the the World Parkinson's Coalition uh, views that aspect of this, that while, of course, we want to find a cure, um, we really have to focus on care as well? It's so exciting. I mean, this is such, for me, to see the growth of this over the last 10 years has been amazing. And I think, you know, you had just asked, Surge about the, what he was excited about seeing this year and change. I think for me, one of the things that I think has been changing, I've been watching it change a lot, but even in the last three years, I feel like there was a big jump, is the idea of, of self-care and 
figuring out things that people with Parkinson's can do on their own to supplement what their health providers are giving them. So a lot of that comes down to exercise, nutrition, just living well. And I've just seen this explosion of things happening. And some of those things even come out of, I know at the last World Parkinson Congress, there were some exercise programs around both dance and boxing. And after Montreal, both of those seem to just continue to grow exponentially. And so the idea of giving a set of tools to people, this is a conference where people with Parkinson's come and they fill their toolkit. This is their own kit. They figure out what's going to work for them. One of the things we've done since our second World Parkinson Congress, which I think is a really exciting part of the science from the perspective of people with Parkinson's, we have this scientific poster abstract area of the Congress. And so we expanded our poster section. It's 35 topics or so on the topics of just Parkinson's, whether they fall under basic science, clinical science, or comprehensive care. But we have a fourth category, and that's called living with Parkinson's. And that's where we invite both individuals with Parkinson's or organizations or even health professionals who are doing projects and programs in the community that are improving quality of life for people with Parkinson's. How do you, for example, if you live in a small town and you don't have a speech pathologist in your community, how do you address that need? And so I know there was one small town in UK, they actually got together and came up with a program and found funding to bring in a speech language pathologist to their community one day a week where all the people with Parkinson's needed to see the speech pathologist would come together to the one center and they would do a day-long program where they would all get to meet the speech pathologist. And so it was a very simple program, but it really impacted the quality of life of those people living in that small town. And so they wrote up their project and how they did it and why they did it and what the outcomes have been. And they presented that as a poster. And I think that was brilliant because that's the sort of thing that another community could come and look at and say, well, that's, that's a problem we have, and you've solved it in a really simple way. Let's do what you've done, and let's take your program and implement it. So for, for me, it's been really exciting to see that part of the Congress grow over the 10 years. And, figure, and really, we're not just talking about people with Parkinson's being involved. We're giving them the tools and the opportunity to do it. And they've embrace that opportunity with great enthusiasm. And that's what's been so fun to see. It's a pretty intense schedule, ranging from eight in the morning till six at night. Are are there opportunities built in for people to relax and have fun at the conference? (laughs) Absolutely. We obviously think that, you know, wellness is important. It's what we believe in. And we have a phenomenal place that's part of the Congress. We call it Wellness Way. And this started at the first Congress in a small way, and it's grown tremendously. We have a space. It's called Wellness Way. There are four rooms. One of the rooms is called the Renewal Room, where people can come in and participate in various classes, whether it's a Tai Chi class or a yoga class, a dance class, vocal class, whatever it is. It's, it's sort of, let's not, it's not taxing the brain, it's just working the body. So it gives people a chance to go from a session where they're seated, learning about science, and they come in and do an actual yoga class. So that's nice. That's part called the Renewal Room. And flanking the Renewal Room, we have two spaces. One is our Meditation Room, where we actually will bring a meditator and meditation instructor in to actually walk people through a meditation if they wish to try that. And then we have a room called the Massage and Reiki Room. And you can pretty much guess what that is. It's a very popular space where people can come in. We have volunteer Reiki masters and massage therapists from the local community who will offer short, you know, 15-minute sort of shoulder massages. 
And then the fourth room in this area is new for us. It's actually our care partner lounge. And we know that there are, I think, around 40 million people in the United States who are designated as care partners, unpaid caregivers or, or carers. And the reality is uh, they also need a great deal of support. So this is the first time we've added this space in, the Care Partner Lounge, where we have three uh, phenomenal social workers who have helped design this space and make sure that there's going to be somebody there to talk to the care partners, whether it's a more formal discussion or just a casual networking opportunity. So we strongly encourage people to visit that space. That's a fun part. And we also have a space we're introducing this time called the WPC Art Walk, where we'll have some really beautiful art exhibits on display designed by people with Parkinson's that have a space for people to come and visit and just get to you know, be inspired by this beautiful art and to meet the artist. So we do believe that's quite important. Great. Well, Dave, do you want to wrap up? We've covered um, certainly a, a lot of ground. Um, so maybe just a, a last uh, short observation uh, from from each of you about what you hope people will gain from coming. We talked about in the very beginning about what makes the WPC different, but what do you hope people walk away with? Serge? Well, again, I, I think that as we have witnessed uh, meeting after meeting. Uh, I think that uh, aside from the wealth of information, which is, I would say, a, a must, uh, uh, everyone expect that if already you, you go to a meeting, that you will return with useful take-home messages. And I think that the experience with the previous meeting in Montreal, we know that that's the case and that the community at large uh, as uh, Eli said, whether it's the basic scientist or the patient with Parkinson's disease, we're going to meet these important milestones. But I, I think that what was really striking to me, and particularly at Montreal, and I hope that that will continue and I look forward to that, is how enthusiastic everyone leave the, this meeting uh, for different reasons, but they all leave extremely inspired, extremely motivated to engage in uh, awareness, in their disease, in making sure that we improve the quality of life, that those who live with the disease have a better life and feel so much more connected to everyone else. And I think that to me, that is a very gratifying for the older organization, the organizers and the, and the leadership of the WPC. This is to me a very important goal. It's to, to see on the face of our uh, participant, and particularly a uh, member of the community with Parkinson's disease, how energized and hopeful they leave the meeting. That was Dr. Serge Shedborski, the president of the World Parkinson Congress, and Eli Pollard, the organization's executive director, talking about the upcoming WPC gathering in Portland. And John, it was interesting, as always, to hear their perspective. I think also back-to-back with the perspective we heard the previous month from Sarah Rigari and Pam Quinn from a patient point of view. And I, I think for all of them, and probably for you and I too, part of what's so remarkable about this gathering is that cross-pollinating factor that Eli referred to, that you literally have everybody in the same room. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to the WPC. It's a chance to meet old friends and to make new ones and to learn from the best scientists in the world and a chance to share knowledge. It's, it's a very complex meeting, but a very exciting one, I think. 
It is indeed. And, you know, it's a complex disease, of course, um, as well. And I think that's probably perhaps what hasn't changed uh, since the last WPC gathering in Montreal, our our realization that we are contending with a, a complicated condition. And that's also been evident, I think, in our series of interviews, John. You know, we've dealt with everything from the sleep problems involved in Parkinson's to some of the hard scientific challenges. Uh, and that's been really illuminating to me. I've, I feel like I've learned a great deal over these past 15 months of, of interviews. Yeah, the, the sheer range of topics we've touched on is amazing. With sleep to DBS, from exercise to brain grafts, from gene therapy to alpha-synuclein, it's really been quite a privilege to explore all these different topics. I agree. And John, I will also say it's been a, a great privilege to do this series with you. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope our, our listeners have as well. And I hope that we'll continue to be able to explore these topics together in the years ahead. So thank you for that. And let's also thank our, our wonderful colleague and friend and engineer, Danny Bringer, who's made these podcasts go so smoothly uh, with talents that neither you nor I uh, possess. So uh, with that, um, I'll see you in Portland, John. Really looking forward to it. See you then. Dave. Thanks for everything. Portland Countdown is brought to you by the World Parkinson Coalition with technical support provided by Danny Bringer. Special thanks to our expert guests who make this series possible and who serve the Parkinson's community. Support for Portland Countdown comes from Parkinson's Resources of Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, visit WPC2016.org to learn about the upcoming Fourth World Parkinson Congress in September 2016.